Hello and welcome to Down the Tunnel with me, Keen Barclay. Life as a professional athlete's good when your team is winning or when you've got a long career ahead of you. But what happens when things aren't going so well or maybe when your career's coming to an end? Are you prepared for life after sport? Dr. David Lavelli is a professor of duty of care in sport at Abertay University in Dundee, Scotland. His research focuses on the well-being of participants in sports and retirement from sport. He holds adjunct professor appointments at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand and University of Limerick in Ireland. Born in Lowell, Massachusetts, his academic qualifications include a bachelor's degree from Boston College, a master's degree from Harvard University, and a PhD from the University of Western Australia. Professor Lavelli is an international expert in sport career development and transitions with over 100 publications in the area of extensive experience of evaluating athlete development programs around the world. His research aims to grow trustworthiness in sport and contribute to more responsible sport for the people involved. And as a side note, he was a Gatorade All-American School soccer player in New Hampshire. Today, we're going to go down the tunnel to Scotland to meet Dr. David Lavelli. Welcome to the show, Professor Lavelli. How are you? No, I'm really good. Really good. Some strange times at the moment, but uh, really, um, really happy to to join you today on your podcast and to uh, talk about, um, I think, some quite important topics. Yeah. So you're the only one in the world, Professor of Duty of Care in the School of Applied Sciences at Abertay University, um, my alma mater. Um, tell uh, my listeners what that means. Well, it's it's quite a privilege, I think, to be uh, the a professor of duty of care in sport. One 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 area, one aspect um, that duty of care has a real presence in is now. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I'm not a solicitor. It's not something I, I do. Uh, but duty of care has a real meaning within that. Um, duty of care also has a meaning within more sort of philosophical and, and morality. Um, on that side. Uh, and even though I studied philosophy uh, as, as an undergraduate at Boston College, it, it's, it's not my focus. I come from a psychology background. Um, so my interest is very much in the middle, which has to do more with support. And it looks at very much um, the welfare and the well-being of, of all different participants in sport, not just athletes and, and people that, that, that play sport to a very high level, but also coaches, um, volunteers, practitioners, you know, sports scientists, fans, sort of everybody that participates in sport in some sort of way, uh, sports need to provide a duty of care to them to make sure that they can enjoy the experience and it's provided in a safe and, and healthy way. And, and, and with a lot of what's going on at the moment, it, it's, it's, it's probably more important than ever. Yeah, I would think, you know, under the current there'd be a lot of concerns for a, a lot of people that are involved in sport as far as how they're coping with their lives being completely flipped upside down. Yeah. I think I, I you know, if you, if you can use professional sport as an example, I think it, it it's given people um, an opportunity that they didn't anticipate, but something where they 
will be looking maybe at their careers through uh, a different lens for the first time and, and thinking about, you know, what if sport doesn't return? What if my sport doesn't return and what's going to happen and what should I do? You know, have I prepared as best I can to be able to um, move on and do something else? Because people who play professional sport and dedicate, you know, so much, um, uh, you know, their lives to, to, to being very talented at something sometimes have to forego other opportunities to be able to do that. And, and when, when something happens, when it's unanticipated and they have to sort of make a transition into another area of their life, if they're not ready, God, it's really, really hard, very hard. So I think this, this sort of uh, the whole COVID situation, I think presents just quite unique um, opportunities for people to look at, at, at their own experiences and, and what support either they, they have or they might need sort of going forward. Yeah, like uh, on my last episode, I had Michael Reed, um, who's a current USL player. Um, and, you know, in part of our conversation, he was talking about what the guys were doing. Like some of them were learning to cook and um, they were kind of like trying to formulate new goals and plans. And, you know, so I, some of them have, have used this opportunity to be to kind of say, OK, well, now what? Sure. I think I think one of the best predictors of people making a, a smooth transition out of their sport into another career is going to be the extent in which they plan and the skills that they've sort of developed with that. And I think some of those that you've that you've said there, I think, are really good. They're really positive. I think it's people trying to push themselves out of the comfort zone and be able to cope and adapt into a different way of, of life. And I think those those examples are good. I think, you know, some sports, some organizations, some associations are doing a phenomenal job at being able to uh, present those opportunities to others. Others, unfortunately, aren't. And, it, and, it's, and it's really, you know, put the spotlight on, um, you know, the need of players and the welfare of players to be able. And, and as I said, it's not just the players themselves. It's the coaches. It's everybody that's involved in, in the whole sports industry. I think is really just having a second think about what are the things they need to be able to, um, you know, thrive within what they're doing, but also make sure that they are prepared for other things that might happen in the future. And a huge component of that, of that, you know, you and I spoke about it before is the support system. Yeah. And, and, and I think in terms of support, there's two sort of key aspects of support that, um, that I think are relevant for any player, anybody that's participating in sport in any way. And, 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 and I think they can be sort of described as perceived and received support. So perceived support would be the extent to which somebody sort of views that support is available to them within their organization, within their sport. Received is when they actually need something um, that they get it. So an organization, you know, that you could have a sport, ice hockey or something that might say, you know, a particular club might say that they have a particular policy to do with concussion. And, you know, the perception, the perceived uh, support from the players might be that, okay, yeah, we have a really good policy that, you know, our club will support us if we are concussed. But when the chips are down and somebody needs support, do they receive it and, or don't they? And that, that's really the key bit of, of to what extent somebody gets support. So support is, is really a, a, a huge part of people's ability to be able to navigate 
um, not just their success within their sport, but also to be able to, um, to as we said, sort of make the transition out of the sport. I think, I think not to, you know, if you look at people that, that, that are really talented, I mean, super talented people, Olympians, you know, uh, professional players that sort of, you know, their, their support networks uh, within their club, um, and even within their family, support them to be taken right to the edge, absolutely to the edge. And if they know that they're supported, they th- that gives them the best opportunity to thrive and be able to perform and, and, and do, you know, reach their potential. If that support isn't there, I think a lot of people might might sometimes not be able to, um, I, I guess, feel that they have the opportunity to be able to do that. Um, you know, with the COVID situation, I think um, it does present a, a really sort of clear way that people can see whether they, their families, you know, other players, other, you know, everybody that's involved in a particular sport is going to be that support is there or not because really hard decisions are having to be made around, um, you know, certain organizations that have multiple sports, different, different parts, where they have to decide what's the most important part of that. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the current situation, it's not, there's not a spotlight saying, hey, this, this person probably needs some support in understanding how to transition out of their sport. We all know it's like, oh, everybody's kind of frozen. We need to support each other, but it's an anomaly, right? So normally everyone's kind of so caught up in their own ongoings that as a player, you know, a singular player either transitions out of the game voluntary or involuntarily. No, that's right. And, and, and sort of out of the sort of key variables where you could, if you wanted to look at what are some of the best predictors of people make, making a successful or unsuccessful transition out of their sport, um, control is going to be um, one of the most important ones. So at the moment, it's involuntary for everybody. You know, everybody is, is, is not in control of the situation at the moment because of, of what's going on. And that would happen with situations, you know, in normal times where people might experience an injury. Um, they might be unexpectedly cut from the team. Um, so people that, that experience uh, a, a, um, an involuntary, um, uh, you know, decision that's out, out of their control is going to experience, you know, generally a more difficult transition of those people than those people that make the decision to retire um, themselves. However, there are always examples of people who make the decision to retire, but they still experience quite difficult adjustment periods as a result of that. Michael Jordan is such a good example where he famously retired, you know, three times from basketball and, and also baseball, you know, once. But but the notion of him, you know, coming back and and, and unretiring in a way to be able to achieve certain goals was quite important to him. He called it the itch that needed to be scratched. And that was, um, you know, it's such a good way to be able to describe why, you know, some people are just so driven within the sport. Um, so, so that whole area of, of making a decision and, and whether the decision is yours or not is, is, is a really, really important part of this. I want to keep playing, but let's say specifically in soccer, I'm, I'm getting into my early 30s. The, I'm not quite as quick as I once was. Like, you really accepted that, and you kind of just get ushered out. And are you prepared for it? Yeah, and that's and that's the hard thing because, 
you know, I think sport, um, certainly more competitive sport, is is driven by people focusing exclusively on their sport and 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 either very little else or nothing else in order to be able to perform. And there's a really neat um, sort of concept called athletic identity. And it's the extent to which people sort of see themselves within, the, you know, the sporting role. We have all different types of identities. We have a social identity. We have an educational identity. And we all have a sporting identity. And that that is quite a malleable construct where it changes from sometimes from week to week, from month to month, from year to year. People that have a very strong and exclusive athletic identity um, upon retirement will will have um, a much well the research shows has have a much greater um, period of adjustment much more difficult um, uh, adjustment period it's not as smooth as those that don't have um, as strong um, an, an identity so in terms of um, research in the area it's one of the most researched sort of topics this whole notion of, of identity and self-identity now I, I did um, I I was given the opportunity to do a really interesting study um, of a professional organization based in Australia a couple of years ago called um, National Rugby League. Um, so the NRL um, said that they had data over three years, um, which it was two different data sets. One was um, a data set around player performance. So um, three different variables that they considered to be important aspects of performance um, and it was week on week form so to what extent uh, players were picked to play for their team second area of performance had to do with um, how long players were uh, in with their club so how long they played with the same team and the third area was how long they were in the game so their tenure their career tenure playing uh, rugby league so that was one data set the other data set they had was Every week, they had a measure of the, the, the extent to which the player, every player, was engaged with or not engaged with career and education outside of rugby. And they had a, a, a way that they measured that, which um, sort of has a nice theory behind it, which looked at sort of stages of change and to what extent people were, were making decisions around that and how ready they were to be able to do that. So it was a measure of engagement. And I was, I was asked to independently um, look at these two data sets. So I merged the two data sets. And what was fascinating uh, was that for the first time, we were able to see that the players that were more engaged with their career in education were performing better on the pitch week on week than those that weren't. So those players that were um, focused only on the rugby and not doing any other career or education activities outside of that, weren't performing as well and weren't in the game as long and weren't in with their team as long as those that were. And I think it was a fascinating sort of insight into this view of um, how important, you know, the, this whole area of performance is within the, the, this area because, um, you know, since the study, so many other people have become interested in it because they see it as something that can actually help them as a team, as an organization, as a club, be able to 
um, continue to perform where in the past, you know, they would always see this is, this is something that, that would be a waste of time. And from a psychological perspective, um, it would be called um, cognitive dissonance. So cognitive dissonance would, would effectively says that when people have two competing interests, they will convince themselves that one of those areas is a waste of time. And that normally happens in sport where people are playing sport and, and maybe somebody is encouraging them to go and do a university degree or do you know, a job on the side to get some, some other skills. They would convince themselves that that is actually a waste because it's going to have an impact on my performance. With this, this completely sort of flipped that on its head. And, um, and it was really neat because as an organization, they've really sort of embraced the whole idea of what that means. They want to continue to sort of encourage all the players to do that. They now have a policy where that, you know, players um, have to sort of do something outside of sport, out of their sport. And it's, um, you know, it's really, really nice to see. Yes. The, the organization benefits because like you said, the study is showing that they the team is being more successful. The players, the athletes are more productive and then that's created like plan B, plan C for the players for when their career is over. So, you know, maybe subconsciously the pressure of well, what am I going to do when, my, when I'm done playing, it's like alleviated, whether they're like consciously thinking about that or not. It's, you know, if that's in their subconscious, it's, well, I've mastered this. I have a master's in whatever it is, or, you know, I, I got my culinary degree. And so I'm going to cook when I'm done and it's something I'm passionate about. So I think that's, that's, that's huge. Absolutely. And I think, I think for them, they see it at, and other people have described it as, as a win, win, win. So you have a win for the player, you have a win for the club, the team, but you also have a win for the sport because these people are staying in the game for longer. Um, and and it's, it's very counterintuitive to think that, you know, by doing something outside of what you're doing, that you'll actually stay in what you're doing for longer. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but that, that, but, that, but that, that's what it shows. So for them, they, 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 like I said, they really saw that as a way to, to promote um, the values of the game. And, and what they wanted to do. And what was interesting is um, when the data was given to me, they were able to, I was able to flag in the data set who were the, um, the what they called the leadership team. So the captains and the co-captains in the data. And um, there wasn't enough, um, there weren't enough people to sort of run, you know, there wasn't enough statistical power to run sort of um, any sort of advanced statistics on it. But but, but the trends showed that the captains tended to have more significant uh, result in all three of the performance areas than the more junior players, the, the non-leaders. So, so, so what, what I saw from that was that the, the co-captain, the captains and the co-captains were sort of leading by example. And maybe the younger players who might have been on the fence and wondering, you know, should I be bothering with this? They were seeing their their role models, their mentors out there. Also, you know, having a job, uh, you know, alongside, or they were going to do um, a, a degree and they would probably say, well, I, you know, it's not having any effect on them. It's, you know, it's something I should do. So I think this area of role models is really important. We translate that too, because I think you said it was also relevant for like coaches and administrators. So when we look at, you know, the other people involved in the, in the, in the sport, like what, what about them? How are they going to transition yeah. out? Good question. We haven't done, we haven't done too much in that, <laughs> too much in that area. I've, I've done, I've done two studies um, on coaches transitioning actually out of soccer. 
And we saw some really similar findings in relation to their planning and their, um, and their identity. And what was interesting is with them is they, they had a very strong athletic identity as a player. When they retired as a player, as an athlete, retained that identity by staying in coaching. When they then decided to make the decision, either by choice or, 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 or involuntarily leaving sport, that identity then, um, you know, the stronger that that was, once again, that had a big impact on the extent to which that they um, could make a, um, you know, a smooth transition out. But it's a really good question. There's, there's, not, enough, there's not enough research um, in those areas um, in that way. Um, if I could share one thing just about the role models, yeah. um, uh, which was something that um, a, a student, uh, a PhD student of mine, and I were doing a study, um, uh, God, it was 15 years ago, 12, 12 years ago. We were looking at the, um, we're helping, trying to help junior tennis players make the transition to be senior tennis players. We were asked to help um, the junior players make the transition to senior. And that was, that was the whole point of this sort of research. And we thought that we were the best people in you know in the best position to be able to do this so we designed this whole series of workshops and interventions and delivered this program to the players and had virtually no impact at all um and what we picked up in in the sort of post you know sort of review was the players one of the players said well it would be different if if the senior players were telling us that (laughs) So we went. So we went and ran the study again, and 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 my student learned how to, um, you know, video and do some editing, and, and we we ran the intervention word for word in the same way that we did before, but the senior players just said the words that we had written, and it had a massive impact. It had a huge impact. So rather than me saying as the academic, you should do this, this, this. If you have the senior player saying you should do this, 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 it has a, it has a, it has a really big, um, well, it has an impact compared to me where it had no impact at all. So the importance is, is who's delivering the message to support players is really crucial. And I learned an awful lot from that experience because we just um, were very naive and thought that we were in the best position to do it. We were probably the worst people to be doing it. Wow. So then are we doing enough to, you know, facilitate the examples f- from our leaders to the younger, to the junior players? Like, wh- what can we do or are we doing enough? It's a good question. I don't, I don't think we're doing enough, but compared to 20 years ago, it's so much better. It, you know, I think it's it, the maturity of the area in terms of support for players is there. I think there's still a lot of pressure on players not to, to receive that. I think there's a lot more of programs in place. There's obviously some very successful college coaches that, you know, part of their, their culture within their, their, their team will always make sure that players graduate and, and, you know, and continue to do that. And they'll put in all, you know, put in place all kinds of either policies or support aspects. But, but the simple answer from my perspective is we're not doing enough, but there certainly has been a, a lot more, um, a lot more that's been done in recent years. Yeah. And in, you know, in the coaching courses now that, 
you know, I think a huge element of the coaching education is the holistic approach where, you know, the, the coaches aren't solely focused on the sport, but the, the whole individual. And I you ask most people who, who played a sport, like who their favorite coach was, it, who cared the most. Sure. I think, yeah, I think care. I think it's a great word. I think it's a great word. And I think it's, it's the untapped area that I think is, I, I mean, I would say it's where the future is. I think, you know, when I talk about the results from the National Rugby League, I think they cared, you know, they cared about, the, they care about their players. And as a result, I think they've seen some benefits that, that, that weren't there that maybe some others aren't getting. So I think, you know, I've made some some public statements in the past where I think the performance gains over the next 20 years are going to come from this whole duty of care area. I wrote an article just published um, that, that, that win trophies uh, or anybody that wins a championship, if they've won, but they've bullied everybody along the way, they've treated everybody poorly, it's not only going to be seen as as not, you know, in, uh, in a magazine over here um, called Fo- Football Medicine and Performance, and uh, and I called it um, Success in Football is No Longer Enough. And mm-hmm. I talk about how um, sort of important it actually has a neg. I think it, it has a negative impact now on people's reputation. So it, it isn't just winning. It's actually the process that people go through in winning. I think people have to win with integrity and they have to win by providing that support to players. And I genuinely believe that's where that sort of whole area um, is just open. It's just really, I, I mean, I, I'm surprised that clubs, more, more universities, more sort of associations aren't sort of looking more at that as, as the place to do it. And I sort of talk about it, you know, there's such a, there's, there's been such a focus over the last 20 years on marginal gains these really small inches that sort of people can gain. I think, I think if somebody can sort of crack, you know, mental health, for example, and support players for their mental health, they will see gains in performance like you've never seen. They won't be marginal. They're going to be so much more significant. Um, and, and I'm really surprised that, that people haven't spent more time really trying to, to unlock that because that's where that is. So that's what I think the whole duty of care area sort of has a contribution to make. To, to unlock the the sports psychology aspect of the for the players seeing the like the the scottish football association adapt any kind of best practices in this field yep well i've just i've just finished a research project with the the actual players association so not the not not the sfa so the pfa scotland which is the players football association scotland um, we've just finished a research project where I've just written a report for them and they've started a whole series of interventions on the back of those recommendations and are providing, and they've, you know, we sort of did this before the lockdown and I think they're seeing some benefits from it. And, um, so, so they, so this whole, I think the player associations, um, within different, um, you know, different sports, um, and, and the umbrella organization for all of that is called the World Play Association, based in Amsterdam. I think those associations are, are really critical at the moment. They are the ones that players are turning to. 
So if they're not getting the support from their their club itself or their their their, their sport, certainly in the UK in Europe you have these um, effectively player unions that provide um, a lot of support support. So they they help players um, you know uh, apply to university. They help them support them uh, in 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 doing that or doing cooking courses, language courses, all kinds of different things. So that that area for me, I think, is really important. It doesn't mean the SFA isn't doing a good job, but the PFA Scotland for me has been doing uh, you know has been doing some really good things in, in a really good way for their players. Family so much that you know, and a lot of people don't have the family support base. So if they lose. If they come out of the game, they lose their sporting connections, they lose their sporting uh, network, and they don't have a family support base. Where does that come from? I think I think it's I think it's one of the um, the double edged swords of uh, uh, of sport. I think one of the best bits of sport, one of the greatest parts of sport, is that it connects people and it provides that connection and all those different support networks naturally just because of the way teams come together. It's just there. But the risk then is when somebody leaves that the next day, um, it's not, it might not be there for them. So I think sports need to do a lot more to be able to provide some connection back for players to be able to stay involved in some way, because there's nothing worse than being out of that, 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 that group that somebody has felt so strongly to, and it's probably, you know, sacrificed an awful lot for for themselves for their team for their for their, their teammates in different way so yeah that whole area the sort of the three big areas the three important variables in this whole um equation of making the transition out of sport it, the first one is just the reason for retirement that we talked about the second one has to do with the self and identity the third one is this area of, of coping and resources that people have so to what extent somebody has those resources or not is something that a sport can, can, can actually, you know, do something about and learn something about to be able to help provide some type of support for somebody um, beforehand or during a transition when it's occurring rather than just um, allowing it to sort of naturally occur because it, th- there's certainly enough research there to sort of show that it, that it's important and if those aren't there, I think sports can do things to be able to, to, to get people back involved. I think it's an area that certainly we've got to improve, you know, ourselves at in this country, in our industry. I mean, even me personally, like, I think that it's, a, it's my responsibility being in sport to like, can continue to help people, whether they're coaches or they're players, like to build those networks so that they can cope. I mean, even, you know, speaking on my experiences, it's like, all of my friends came from some involvement with soccer and, you know, all the, all the groomsmen at my wedding were pretty much connected through soccer and the people that I speak to on a regular basis, it's all through soccer. And it's like, man, if, if that truly was completely taken away just from me, not from all of us. Right. Because the, I think COVID's created this, you know, unnatural situation where it got taken away from all of us. So we kind of have that, that network, but if it was taken away from me, and that's the only thing I knew, it would be really difficult, I think, to try to find, oh, well, who do I talk to now? Because all the people I talk to are typically, you know, directly related to my sport. Yeah, no, I think, and this, I mean, that, that, that really is, it. it's, it's, 
it's one of the only, and, and, and maybe it maybe is the only inevitability in sport is that people have to leave their sport. And I think it's really nice when people have ways to be able to give back and help the next generation. There's a really powerful psychological phenomenon um, from a psychologist named Eric Erickson, and he talked about um, generativity. And generativity effectively is, 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 is a stage of, de of development where people reach a point where they want to give back to future generations. And not everybody reaches that stage naturally through life. Some people are naturally generative, generative, um, you know, teachers, um, nurses, you know, they, they sort of have a generative um, approach to what they do, where sometimes people have to experience, you know, losing something or, you know, something very stressful. People will run, you know, marathons to raise money for something that might be a generative act to try to give back for something that they themselves experience. I get asked the question a lot, you know, did I have a really bad retirement, a really stressful retirement because I spent all my time sort of researching it. And it's not, it, you know, I had quite a good experience making my transition out of sport, but some people naturally think, you know, the people gravitate towards things that they want to be able to give back to. And, that, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's a really good thing. So, um, you know, that you're right. You've pointed out that, 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 you know, sports been taken away from all of us. And when you sort of think about, you know, what is the value of sport in society when sports not, not, live you know not active i think part of that is the connection that people have you know you and i are sort of talking now about about things you know there's there's things that that continue and continue to 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 be sort of part of of the the conversation around this just just because something isn't sort of yeah. happening well this has been great i i, I don't want to take too much of your time up but i really appreciate it. i think this is you know like you and i talked about before we even started recording like i think this is such a huge element and such a massive component of for of the game that probably doesn't get as much attention as it should and definitely not as in detailed as it should you know like the the concept of like yeah we need to we need to take, approach the, the 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 whole player the holistic approach but what does that mean and creating these uh, these plans, the the outside of the sport networks, the, you know, your plan B, your plan C, your plan D after sport, like really helping players to, you know, get a grasp of, okay, well, what am I going to do? And who's going to help me do it? And and creating that, that best practices with, you know. With yeah. And I think, I, I think, I think a lot's been done over the last 20 years. And I think it's one of those areas as well that people are willing to share I think sports organizations, I think players associations in particular, I think they're creating sort of, you know, a way to be able to share the things that they're learning. I think, I think part of, part of this is also, you know, a lot of sports aren't sure, you know, they haven't really been sure how to support players and they're learning. So they're learning how to respond. They're learning how to make sure that people get the support they need when they need it. So I think there's been a lot that's been done, but but certainly more more can be done too. Well, that's great. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on. You're obviously welcome back anytime. And uh... that sounds great. I think I think what's what's always really good, I think, is to have you know actual athlete, you know, an athlete or or a coach or or people who sort of have that experience. I think it becomes so much more powerful when they you know they can explain and, and share their stories. I think that 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 that's really something. But no, I, I'd really welcome that. that well, I appreciate great. it. Again, we have had uh, Professor Lavelli, um, who yeah. is the only 
<laughs> duty of sport in the world, professor. Um, so I appreciate you taking your time to come on and, and join the podcast. And uh, uh, like I said, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks again to our guest, Dr. David Lavelli, professor of duty of care in sport at Abertay University in Dundee, Scotland. Thanks for listening to Down the Tunnel. I'm Keen Barclay. Join me again next time as we discuss all things soccer. Send your comments and questions to downthetunnel at gmail.com.